Welcome to The Paleo View. I'm bestselling author and co-creator of realeverything.com, Stacey Toth. I focus on being healthy inside and out through real life, food, and talk. I'm Dr. Sarah Ballantyne, New York Times bestselling author and creator of thepaleomom.com. I'm passionate about improving scientific literacy around public health topics. I like hashtags and bone broth. And I'm just a super nerd. Welcome back, listeners. Hello, Sarah. How are you? I'm fine. I'm a little itchy. Itchy? Did you get poison ivy when you went hiking? Yeah. <laughs> so here's here's the thing. So we recorded last week's podcast actually before I went on my camping trip. Um, and so this is like my first podcast back from our pretty like incident-filled <laughs> adventure, you know, uh, unintended adventure filled camping trip. It's becoming a recurring theme for your travel adventures. I mean, you wouldn't want life to be boring, right? So I spent so much time. We did uh, a bunch of hiking while we were in the Blue Ridge Mountains. And I spent so much time trying to make sure that my kids didn't wander off the trail because I could see like there was poison ivy lining the trails and they were nice, you know, wide. It's a state park. Um, you know, they're fairly highly trafficked trails. So they're, you know, they're well maintained. So I was just like, stay on the trail and you'll be fine. And then I got distracted by mushrooms. I got distracted by wildflowers. And so the person who was like wandering off the trails was me. <laughs> and so I just got a couple of small spots. I'm pretty sure I got it on the last hike, like the morning that we left. Um, and I like recognized it quickly enough to use like the special scrub, but, um, I've got, I've got a few kind of itchy spots. So, um, whoops. I do not do well with those kinds of rashes. (laughs) As I've mentioned here before, I have sensitive skin, um, and it runs in the family. Like my mom has to go on steroids when she gets it. It's so bad. So. I'm glad that we're not in a near vicinity to one another. (laughs) I'm a bit paranoid. Uh, Well, for those of us that did not disconnect from the world, um, in fact, I reconnected my kitchen this week. So in in the saga of Stacey's reno... We it gets music. That's it gets music. It's a big thing. It is. Yes, we have a kitchen. And then two days after we got our kitchen, which it's about 90%, but that's fine. We can function. (laughs) Two days after our hot water heater died, just randomly. Oh, you know. Yep. You just put some money into your kitchen. So clearly you want a new. Yeah, water heater. That's yep. that's how that works. Exactly. And it means that the double dishwashers we were so excited about and finally cooking ourselves home-cooked meals don't work. <laughs> and we can't take hot <laughs> showers. <laughs> so we're back to living like we're camping over here. Um, but yeah, anyway, life goes it's a, on. There are it's worse- a lot more fun when it's intended. There, Yeah. And... And you don't have to go to the office that day. Yes, absolutely. There are, there are worse problems in the world, though. So I'll, we'll be all right. But 
our kitchen, uh, I did post like an update on Instagram. So if you've been wanting to follow along, the 90% photos are up there. They're just iPhone photos. And once it's a hundred percent, I will, I don't, I don't even honestly know where my real camera is. I'm just, that's, I'm, you know, okay, so a terrible I'm, blogger. <laughs> I am looking at photos right now. And there's walls missing. What? Are there? Well, I can't orient myself. Um, where, where'd the what wall? There is a wall with an indent. That's going to be our pantry, and it's going to have a barn door on the outside. And the barn door is being custom made with farm wood from a local farm here in Virginia. Um, the the guy I'm working with actually went to the farm and got the wood and is making the barn door from it. And so. It's not something I can just like buy on Amazon and it's taking a while to get made, um, which is why the barn door isn't done. And then there's also, he's going to make floating shelves um, on a couple of the walls that will match it. Um, So those aren't done. And then while the stove is in the kitchen, it doesn't work. Um, It has to be hooked up. Uh, And some electrical sockets and some other things just need covers. And there's a few holes still in the ceiling that need to be patched. But overall, we've got a functional kitchen. I mean, it's absolutely gorgeous. I can't wait to actually walk around it. I'm I'm having because I've. I, I was in the pre version of this kitchen. So I, I'm yeah. having this like, well, I remember you were here the weekend that we moved in, which was yes. quite, a, quite, quite an interesting thing for us. A little to chaotic. On. Um, yeah. And I remember us looking up the model of my stovetop to try to yes. figure out how to turn it on because it was so frustratingly impossible. Um, but that is gone. And we will have a wonderful kitchen the next time you visit. So, and puts us that much closer to hopefully opening up our uh, guest suite for potential Airbnb guests uh, that I mentioned a long time ago as being my dream once our kitchen was renovated and being able to cook for people that want to come visit the area. So hopefully that's something we can offer in the future as well. But speaking of cooking, um, Mm. One of the things that I'm excited about is this idea of food being delivered to you so that you can cook real food from your house. And it's one of the things I've been talking about a lot lately. So I'm super excited about this week's podcast sponsor. And I know they're one of your favorite vendors as well. Yeah. Do you want to talk a little bit about ButcherBox? I do. I um, I had a fun experience this weekend camping uh, because I had brought ButcherBox steaks with me to cook over the campfire. And I had a like ButcherBox branded cooler bag in my trunk with uh, vegetables in it. And when the park ranger came to tell us that the mother bear and her two cubs had been uh, feasting on the contents of the cooler they had raided from our campsite neighbor immediately behind our campsite all day. So these three bears were hanging out 30 feet away from us, but it was like up up a little – there was a little slope, so they were just on the other side of the slope. So we didn't see them, but they were 30 feet away from us all day. Uh, so we had this this wonderful conversation with the ranger who was just trying to make sure we understood, uh, you know, the basic things like don't leave uh, garbage bags around your campsite, keep all your food in your car at all times, which we had been doing. <laughs> 
But uh, as he was coming to, to give us this update as to the uh, very, very, very near location of a family of black bears, um, he noticed the butcher box bag and he said, oh, I subscribe to butcher box. I really, that's the best meat. And I was like, yeah, it is. And we had this like bonding experience over our mutual respect for wildlife and our mutual love of butcher box meat. And I was like super excited to like a complete like stranger that I never would meet in any other situation other than I'm a guest in the park with bears in it. And he's telling me how to scare them away if they come up to me. <laughs> and there we ended up on this like complete tangent about, you know, how great ButcherBox is. So I have had a subscription to ButcherBox for, I think, like closing in on three years, pretty much since they started. And I love what they're doing. So the people behind ButcherBox are like super meat quality nerds. They source really, really great quality meat. And then what you do is you have, a, it's a subscription model. So I get uh, just their, their basic box of uh, beef, chicken, and pork. And it's a different, it's different every month. So every month it's like a surprise. Like there's always a couple pounds of ground beef. I don't think I've ever had a box that didn't have a couple pounds of ground beef. Um, there's uh, often a package of bacon, um, but it's, you know, it's, it's a mix. So sometimes it's pork shoulder or it's pork chops or it's pork ribs or it's loin. It's um, beef ribeye or flank steak or um, sometimes I've been introduced to whole new cuts of meat, like whole new um, roasts and, and different types of steaks um, and chicken. You know, sometimes it's chicken tenders or chicken thighs. Uh, or or chicken breast, and it, it's just something that's always different. There's often something in there that I go, huh, like, this is cool. And then they always have recipes that are, like, paleo-friendly recipes. They're not branded as paleo, but they're always paleo. That would give you an idea of, like, okay, so if there's anything, you know, I'm not familiar with in this box, here's a recipe that tells me this particular cut of meat is great for grilling versus uh, this type of meat is better for braising, right? It'll at least – even if I don't follow that recipe, because I'm, I'm pretty terrible at following recipes, I'm much better at just developing them. Um, so it, it still gives me an idea of, of what to do with that meat. And it's, it's very high quality. The beef is completely grass-fed and grass-finished. The chicken is free-range and organic, super high quality. The pork is heritage breed, um, humanely raised pork. And I just, I love that, I love that it's, I, you know, it's automatic. I don't need to think about it. All of a sudden, there's a box at my doorstep. I'm like, oh, it's butcher box time. And then it's a fun adventure. I get something different. And um, and it's it's such high quality meat. I'm I'm a huge fan. I mean, there's not that many, uh, you know, products that I have used for that period of time. For me, because we buy bulk of meat, like half of a pig. Um, what I love is that you can also do these custom boxes. You don't have to get the one that is necessarily being delivered to everybody. And so it allows us to have meat delivered to us that's of that same farm quality, but that offers a little more variety um, and is not quite as much of an investment as the, you know, buying a half an animal. I think for us, it's great because we can trust that 
the chicken, the pork, the beef, whatever it is that we're adding on in this custom box for ourselves is of that quality that we've come to expect. And I used to be a vegetarian. I've talked about that in the show. For me, it's not even just about um, flavor and nutrient density, which we've talked about and we'll get into with this topic. Um, But it's also about the humaneness of how the animals are raised. As someone who was a vegetarian for seven years, the only thing that I kind of felt comfortable coming back with was knowing that the life of an animal I was taking was one that had been lived well and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And so respected, respected, um, humanely raised, all that kind of stuff. And so for me, that's big when I'm looking at purchasing my meat, like that's point number one, because if the animal is well taken care of, you get the benefits of all the other things that we're going to talk about from a nutrient density perspective. So, um, I will say, however, that if our listeners are interested, the best financial option is to sign up for the subscription box because you can cancel at any time. It's not like you're locked in for lifetime and you get then $15 off and free bacon, um, which why wouldn't you want $15 off? (laughs) And if you don't like it, it doesn't work for you. You can just cancel at any time. So there is a catch though. And the catch is to get this offer. You have to go to butcherbox.com slash the paleo view. Yeah. It's usually my job to say that. So thanks, Sarah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. No coupons needed or anything like that. If you use the link, um, it'll get you, the, the deal that ButcherBox is offering our listeners. So I love that our sponsors have been working to get you listeners a deal that is helpful for you because all of these brands that Sarah and I ever mentioned on the podcast sponsored or not are brands that we genuinely use and love ourselves. And so being able to give you, our listeners, a discount to those things is awesome. So thanks to ButcherBox for sponsoring this week's show and hooking you guys up. Um, again, that's butcherbox.com slash the paleo view. And what's great is that we have a question from Deborah that is all about meat quality. And I actually think that Deborah's question is specifically about chicken, but I would really like to expand because this is probably one of the questions that I get asked. It's definitely frequently asked questions. I get asked this all the time, uh, especially when people are, you know, trying to figure out, right, the food quality piece. How important is it? And it's, you know, it is definitely more expensive to be getting this like absolute top quality of, of everything, right? To get the locally grown you know, organic, in-season, everything, it it does get expensive. And so most of us are trying to figure out what's the best bang for a buck and where it's worthwhile to spend a little extra money and where can we, you know, save a little money. And so meat, because of the difference in price between the conventionally grown stuff that you get in the grocery store versus grass-fed or pasture-raised, the sort of height of, of meat quality, it is a very common question of like, well, how how big of a deal is it? Um, so I'm going to read Deborah's question, but I think uh, we're going to sort of expand upon it and really talk about um, the most common types of meat that we um, typically eat. 
So Deborah writes, I've been trying to find a place to get pastured chicken, but even those that claim to be grass-fed are still fed grains. If I eat chicken that's raised on grains, is that going to be bad for staying on the autoimmune protocol? So it's interesting. I think um, there's a couple of things that I just want to dissect from this question. Um, One is the meat quality. Two is how to detect what an animal is being fed by the labels, which we've discussed before, really mean nothing. Um, And then three, how that affects AIP. So let me tell you my opinion. And Sarah obviously wrote multiple books on this, but no matter what elimination you're doing, meat is meat. And while there are some people out there that will tell you that if an animal was fed corn or if an animal was fed wheat, the meat itself does not have the same kind of proteins that would come from the food that it's consuming. An egg, however, (laughs) I I Mm -hmm. have been affected by an egg. So I don't know if you are going to talk about the differential and the science on that one. But I say this because I feel like there's a lot of people who think paleo, AIP, whatever it is, is overwhelmingly difficult because you have to do X, Y, and Z. And while those are the ideals, and we'll talk about why, you can absolutely start AIP and eat grain-fed beef. And we're out, you know, Sarah will talk about, and we have talked about previously on the show, why beef would be a better option than chicken um, from a nutrient perspective. But um, I I just, I want to make sure people understand that, like, do not let perfection be the enemy of good. If you are making choices towards a healthy lifestyle, and that includes removing all of the inflammatory foods from AIP, and then you're adding in this, you know, nutrient dense foods with vegetables and protein, like just feel good about that. And if the grass fed goes on sale, or if you're able to find it, um, you know, signing up with a subscription like butcher box so that it's delivered to you. And you know, that at least some of the food that you're going to be eating that month is of a higher nutrient quality and you save some money with the discount great. But if that's not something that you can do, do not let it stress you out because that's just going to derail your progress in another way. Um, The other thing I want to say is I love that she says that the chickens are grass fed because um, she says pasture chickens, but even those that claim to be grass fed are still fed grains. And I'm just like imagining a package of chicken saying that it's grass fed. And it's like I literally face palmed Um, (laughs) like if a chicken is being fed grass, that's not its natural food. So we want to make sure that when we're looking at how the labels on our food are that they're logical and make sense. I'll give you an example. Um, I tried to get salmon from Costco many, many, many times. And every time I look at the label, it's not only is it not wild caught, it's farmed, which I could get over. It's being fed a diet that is dyed so that it's meat is then died. And that I'm not okay with. So, you know, you just have to make sure that you're, you're kind of looking at the labels and reading between the lines because it's so deceiving how they try to do things these days, especially with eggs. I find eggs and chicken, I think are such like uh, the hardest to navigate. 
Well, and I, I, there's so many things you just said that I, I've been like fist I know, I just in the was, air for you this whole time. I was not breathing so that you couldn't interject. I'm like, <laughs> it's my turn. <laughs> so, I mean, first of all, I want to absolutely agree that um, you get so much bang for your buck making those healthier choices of eating a diet that includes a ton of vegetables and some fruit and meat and seafood and um, and choosing right healthier fats, even if that's something inexpensive like a, a regular olive oil, right? Like we get so much value out of that that when we certainly get a little bit more when we can up the quality, we're going to get into some of the details of, of just what extra we get when we do that, but it is not the be all and end all. And uh, you can do something like the autoimmune protocol, like a paleo diet, with just shopping at your Walmart superstore. Like it is absolutely possible to, to get, you know, the nutrients that you need out of conventionally raised meat and, and produce. So um, I think letting go of that guilt, if that's what, you know, where you're at, if that's what your budget dictates, um, that's fine. We're going to get into some nitty gritty details about like why seeking out that quality is better and like where it's more important and versus where it might be less important. And in that, we're going to be talking about uh, some of these really important definitions. What is grass fed versus pasture raised? What is the natural diet of these animals? And hopefully uh, give you enough information that you can read that label that says, um, you know, vegetarian feed on on chicken and go, but but chickens aren't vegetarians, right? And so understanding where labels can be like, misleading. What is the alternative? I would rather see a label that says not cannibal chicken, you know? <laughs> I mean, yes. I mean, we don't like cannibal chicken. That's, I mean, you also don't want zombie chickens. <laughs> exactly. Where is he vegetarian feed? I'm like, why? What? What's the alternative? Why are you trying to hide? I don't understand. Okay, sorry. <laughs> so let's let's start with uh, a, a sort of broad strokes. Like, what do you actually get when you're when you're getting that higher quality meat? Because as you said, Stacy, meat is meat. It is definitely different with eggs, and we can make sure that we touch on that a little bit before we wrap up the podcast. But meat is is meat. So why is it that the quality of meat matters? So it might help to explain what conventionally raised meat is. Um, we use the word conventional to describe it, but it's hardly conventional. It's, it's something that's really been only invented in the last 70, 80 years. It's uh, something that's very, very, very different than how these animals are typically, you know, um, raised in, you know, family farms or, um, have ever lived historically in the wild. So conventionally raised meat refers to factory farming. So the animals are raised uh, indoors. They tend to be a very, very crowded. They're in small pens. Um, if you've seen any of these documentaries that are trying to um, get people to, to give up eating meat because of the conditions that the animals are raised in, this is what conventionally raised meat is. Um, they're, they can literally be in pens where they, they can't turn around. Um, they're fed incredibly fattening diets, typically grain-based diets. Because they're, because they're so um, uh, crowded, 
diseases spread. And because their, their diets are not particularly nutrient dense, they're not particularly healthy, they don't get to exercise, they're vitamin D deficient because they don't get to spend any time outside. So they're given antibiotics uh, routinely, and they're also given hormones to speed their growth. And so the conventionally raised meat, while it, you know, it still has so much nutrient, it's, it really is uh, a nutrient dense food. It's still um, the most digestible, high-quality protein. It's still full of vitamins and minerals. It is still a health-promoting food for our diet. But in the the conventionally raised version, right, the lowest quality that you're going to get in the the you know discount store, it's going to have it's going to be fattier. It's um, potentially going to have water injected. So some of the chilling, cooling methods um, infuse the meat with water, which basically dilutes the nutrition and dilutes the protein. And it potentially has trace amounts of antibiotics and hormones. And so those give you some senses of like how to read labels, because even if you're in a regular grocery store, you're not going to necessarily find something that says, you know, grass fed, grass finished beef, but you can still look for something that says, you know, no, you know, no, no added hormones. Um, You can find something that says, uh, you know, free range or organic or um, enhanced environments, right? Those types of words would describe a step up where the animals have a little bit more space. Um, maybe they have a higher quality feed. So there's a there's a huge range and there's pretty much some quality of meat at every point in that range. The one that I look for if I'm in, let's say, a, you know, a a part of the country that has limited options, I can almost always find at least one option that's RBGH free labeled. Um, and that means recumbent bovine growth hormone. And that one in particular is used to fatten them up, which then causes um, infection, which then causes antibiotic requirements. So if you can find something at the very least that's RBGH free, you're reducing a whole chunk of things that you would want to avoid. Absolutely. So that's the sort of the bottom end of the extreme. If you go now to the top end of the extreme, I mean, just the way we're healthier when we're eating um, like an optimal human diet, right? Our natural diet and we're active and spending time outside and we're low, you know, we're not stressed and we're getting enough sleep, right? All of those things make us healthier. They also make animals healthier. And so, uh, the animals that we eat for meat, that we raise for meat, they're healthiest when they're raised outdoors and have room to move around when they have, um, improved living conditions. So if they have an indoor space that it's not, crowded, that it's clean, that um, a lot of animals do really, really well with some kind of enrichment in their environment. So like chickens love toys. They love um, being able to climb up things. So giving the animals that type of enrichment and then feeding them their natural diet, right? The diet that they would eat if they were living in the wild. So those are the things that are what makes meat really high quality because when you have those conditions, your a your philosophy is I'm not going to raise these as fast as I possibly can. I'm not going to give them hormones so that I have, um, you know, a 
a full, you know, chicken breast in six weeks from that egg hatching. Like that's what the, the Cornish X hens are literally six weeks old when, and then they can't walk anymore because their chicken, their breast is so heavy, their legs can't support their weight. And that's when they're, they're harvested for, for meat. So, right. There's, there's this embracement of, um, uh, heritage breed of, uh, you know, just taking a little bit more time to raise this meat. And then when you have this, these types of priorities, you don't need uh, antibiotics, you don't need hormones, right? You tend to have healthier animals. And so you don't have to inject them with chemicals that are going to get stored in their fat and then be passed on to our bodies. But beyond like, there's this huge like animal welfare aspect of this that really should not be underemphasized. It's one of the things that I think is a, a very interesting debate right now in the country. Um, we, if, as you see, um, you know, people sort of encouraging uh, the average American to eat less meat, to uh, try veganism for a while, um, or a plant-based diet. Their argument is almost always the living conditions of the animals that are raised to be our meat, and I think that. You know, switching that conversation to humanely raised animals is, is a really valuable conversation to have. But beyond the fact that it is just more ethical, period, um, those animals, the meat from those animals has more nutrition, which is um, very, very compelling from a, a human health standpoint. It has far fewer toxins, right? No antibiotics, no hormones, very, very compelling from a human health standpoint. And it's more environmentally protective. So when you raise animals outdoors, you're not doing things like a monocrop of corn that has to be trucked to an animal feedlot where it's, uh, you know, it's, you know, it's first it's sprayed with Roundup and then it's trucked, you know, hundreds of miles to a feedlot where it's fed to these animals that are then trucked to distribution centers uh, in order to go out to grocery stores, right? That takes up, um, you know, it's it, the carbon footprint of that type of farming is really, really high compared to uh, typically, you know, this higher quality meat is raised on family farms, small scale farms. Uh, we're not supporting monocrop industrial farming for their animal feed. Um, so it just, it protects the soil, right? It just, it has these other, you know, sort of tangential effects that beyond being ethical, beyond being more nutritious, it's just better for the planet. The other one that you hear all the time is the eth the amount of ethanol that cows put out. And when an animal is raised in a natural living condition, especially if it's following a model like Joel Salatin talked about when we had him on the podcast before, where then the chickens come into the field where the cows were, and then they eat the bugs that are on the cow patties, you're actually reducing the ethanol output of the planet. Like you're, <laughs> it's offsetting uh, that for the rest of the environment. So it's right. not only a better carbon footprint, it's actually improving our environmental living. So those are sort of like the broad strokes. I really want to get into some detail about the nutritive value of this high quality meat. Um, but before I get there, I think it's probably good to take a, like a little tangent moment and really make sure that we're defining our tech, our terminology. So um, as you said, chickens 
should not be grass fed. Um, a the, a pasture raised chicken is one that is eating bugs, eating seeds. Um, one of their natural foods would be grains. Um, they are eating some grass, but um, they're also eating rocks. <laughs> rocks, you know, hang out in their um, gullets and help them grind up, you know, seeds that they're eating. So um, chickens and and turkeys, birds in general, and pork are omnivores. So when we're talking about an omnivore, an animal that eats both plants and meat, um, we call them pasture-raised, which basically means that they have access to the outdoors and they are able to forage for their food. They may or may not be um, supplemented with feed. And that's something that we're going to talk about a, a little bit more later. So the term pasture-raised does not automatically imply a lack of supplemental feed. So I know that if I'm talking to my local farmers for their uh, chicken, their turkey, their pork, all of those animals are raised on pasture. They get to forage. They get lots of really cool things. They get the apples that fall from the trees and the vegetables that don't sell at the market, but they also get supplemental feed. So um, that is sort of a normal thing. And it's it's almost always the case with pork as well, because pork is omnivores and it's it's hard, even when they're pastured, um, especially when it's not summertime to get them enough feed. Right. But the one thing I wanted to mention about the labeling of chicken um, is while you might see, um, you might not find the words pasture raised, often with chickens, you'll find the words cage-free or free-range. And just to kind of define what cage-free means, um, that is kind of what the Tyson chicken environment looks like at this point, where it's like one big warehouse with thousands of birds. And if you've seen any of the, you know, movies, I think it was like Food Inc. and different kinds of things like that, the farmers have to wear a mask when they go in there because the, you know, feces is in the air. Um that's cage free. That's because they're not in a cage. Whereas free range means they have to have access to the outdoor. So if you don't find the words pasture raised, um, sometimes you'll find the word uh, free range for chicken or turkey. Yeah. And so that's a really great point that um, you can kind of go up this right conventional, right? There's none of these words on the label. Cage free is definitely a step up because at least they're able to move around, even though the environment is still not a healthy one. There are some farms that do um, cage free chicken that aren't as crowded. So even if it just says cage free, it may still be it may still be better than that. It's just hard to know without being able to research that in some way, then free range would be the, the next level up and then pasture raised would be the next level up. And then organic pasture raised would be that the highest, the highest level of uh, meat quality for chicken, turkey, or pork. Uh, so any kind of omnivore. To go back to the herbivores, right? So beef, bison, lamb, they're herbivores. Their natural food is, you know, grass and leaves. Um, their natural food is not grains. So for chicken or turkey, so birds, birds' natural food sources are grains. So this gets right to Deborah's question. It's they're they're actually they're designed to digest them. Uh, pork are not digest 
designed to digest grains very well. Um, and beef, bison, lamb, their, their digestive systems are not made to digest grains. But for birds, it's different. That is a natural food source for them, right? They're very, very adapted extracting nutrition from seeds like grain seeds. So that would be a healthful ingredient in supplemental feed for chicken or turkey, um, less so for pork and not at all for beef, bison or lamb. So uh, beef, bison and lamb are herbivores. And what grass fed means is that they are outside on a pasture eating grass. But here's where things get tricky. And I've noticed this with a lot of beef sold in like chain grocery stores is sometimes things will be labeled as grass fed, but they're still grain finished. And you need to be able to ask questions. And I have literally taken, you know, a a steak from the shelf and taken it to the butcher counter and asked, is this grass finished? So that is the buzzword, Um, you know, within, um, you know, it's, it's sort of one of those things that farmers who grass feed their beef find really annoying that now they have to specify that they're also grass finished. But it's because of these other um, meat producers that grain finish. So they're fed grain for the last one to three months. But one month is enough to completely change the fat profile in those animals. And we'll talk about why the fats are, are better in grass fed and pasture raised animals. But grain finishing basically reverses all of the good stuff that happened from grass, you know, feeding those animals up until that point. So looking for grass fed and grass finished is really important. And again, there's sort of a range here. So I have met a number of farmers who their cows are out on a field full of grass but during certain seasons, right, the, there's the, the grass is drier, right, it doesn't have as much nutrition, and they provide supplemental feed. And sometimes it's uh, silage, which is sort of like fermented barley, I think, which is fairly digestible by the cows because of that fermentation process. Um, I know one farmer who grows all of their own sort of heritage, um, I guess it's hay, and that's what the cows are fed when the the you know pastures aren't actually providing enough food so there there is a range here where sometimes they're sort of mostly grass fed there is some supplemental feed the supplemental feed is fairly smart um so this is where if you're sourcing your meat from a farmers market from a local farm um or but even from a company like butcherbox i mean if you have any questions you can email their customer service and they are completely transparent in where their their um you know, meat is grown, what they're fed, how they're sourced, and like ev- anything you want to know, they're going to answer your questions. So um, I think it's sort of really important to understand what the optimal is and then where where a little bit of compromise is okay. So, you know, depending on the climate, it can be really, really tough to grass-fed beef year-round. So in, in those types of climates, farmers will will supplement. And so have that conversation and you know, find out. And it's, it's still going to be better, a lot better than meat that is, you know, grown in a, a, you know, food factory. Here, here. So let's start with, with beef. I know Deborah asked about chicken, but chicken is actually a really complicated topic. So I'm sort of (laughs) saving it for last. Um, So let's, let's start with beef because uh, we were just talking about 
you know, the, the terminology of, of grass fed and grass finished and talk about what grass fed beef. And by, I'm just going to say grass fed, but let's just assume I also mean grass finished from here on out. Um, what does it have that is so amazing that's worth the extra, you know, cost per pound? So um, for starters, you're a lot less likely to get sick. So, um, you know, beyond all of the the big picture items we've already talked about, um, grass-fed beef has a much lower frequency of E. coli contamination. It's much, much lower, despite the fact that uh, you almost never see antibiotic use in grass-fed animals, but it's routine in factory farming. So not being violently ill, super, super bonus. Um, it also has a lot more micronutrients. So, you know, red meat is is very nutrient dense already, but grass fed meat has uh, up to 10 times more vitamin A than conventionally raised beef, about three times more vitamin E, which is a super important antioxidant um, than conventionally raised beef. And it's also higher in this sort of range is in like the 10 to 50 percent range, but higher in most of the B vitamins, calcium, magnesium and potassium. So you have a much higher concentration of some really important vitamins and minerals while, you know, grass fed would still provide, you know, equal amounts of other really important you know, nutrients that you would find, right, like iron and like zinc that you would find in, in beef. Um, it also tends to have a much lower water content. It tends to be much leaner. Uh, so all of that means that it's higher in protein, which means that you can get away with a smaller serving size, which is also awesome and something to keep in mind as you are trying to, you know, figure out the budget. You know, you may be able to, you know, you're going to get similar nutrition in a five or six ounce serving of grass fed meat that you might get, you know, a seven or eight ounce serving of, of grain fed. So that does help with the, with the budget aspect a little bit. And then I think the, the, okay, more micronutrients is really compelling. I think the, the most compelling argument for grass fed meat is the fat profile. So the fats are just healthier. Um, now the saturated fat and monounsaturated fat and omega-6 fatty acid content between grass fed and grain fed is fairly similar in terms of percentage of the amount of fat. Remember grass fed tends to be leaner, but grass fed has up to four times more omega-3 fatty acids. And it's the like super helpful DHA and EPA, the long form omega-3s. So the balance between omega-3s and omega-6s is much better in grass fed beef, although it's still not a super rich source of polyunsaturated fats. So you're still, if you're thinking about omega-3s, you're still better off eating, you know, a piece of fish is going to be the thing that really helps with your omega-3 intake. Um, perhaps the most exciting thing that grass-fed beef has to offer is this really exciting naturally occurring trans fat, like who knew there was a good trans fat called conjugated linoleic acid. It is uh, at least double what's found in grain fed beef and up to maybe four times as much. And uh, conjugated linoleic acid or CLA uh, is its acronym has some really exciting health benefits. It's uh, been shown to uh, inhibit cancer growth, which is super exciting. 
Um, it reduces cardiovascular disease, which um, is also incredibly exciting. It can help with weight loss. It reduces appetite, inhibits fat production, stimulates the breakdown of fat, and increases metabolism. And it's been shown to reduce diabetes risk, which is thought to be through anti-inflammatory mechanisms, so reducing inflammation-induced insulin resistance. I mean, and CLA is so exciting that it's you know you're starting to see it in supplements. But what is deficient in supplements is that there are multiple forms of CLA. So like so many molecules, um, there are what are called isomers. So they're like highly related, but slightly different chemical structures. So, right, there's a ton of different forms of vitamin E, for example. CLA is is similar. There's something like 20 different forms. And when you put it in a supplement, you're putting in maybe two different forms. But one of the things that researchers are starting to recognize is that um, you actually seem there seems to be some synergy when you have all of these different forms of CLA, and some, there's something about having all of those different forms that magnifies the health benefits. We really are only experiencing these health benefits getting CLA from whole foods, and the only food sources of CLA is the meat and dairy products from grass-fed cows. There's a little bit in grain-fed, but we're getting it predominantly from grass-fed meat and dairy. And that is um, a really, really compelling reason to at least start incorporating some grass-fed beef or something like um, it would be concentrated in grass-fed butter or grass-fed ghee, incorporating some of those products into our diet. We try as a family to eat more beef than chicken, which we'll talk about later for this reason, plus beef and pork, which we're going to talk about, which also has a different kind of nutritional value, are also more affordable. So if those are your limitations, the nutritive benefits on this front are what they are. And um, after we, <laughs> after, I don't know if you even know this, Sarah, but after we wrote Beyond Bacon, which is a pork-centered book, and we're going to talk about that shortly. Um, I was asked if we were going to write Beyond Burgers for, <laughs> for a meat-centered book, and uh, the the idea was overwhelming, uh, and the answer was no. We wrote a different book next, but um, I do think that there is such flexibility also with cooking with red meat. Like you can, you can do so many things with it. And um, I think it's, it's highly underrated in America. Honestly, I think there was a, a fear of saturated fat for a while. And it's surprising to most people that grass fed beef has a similar nutrient profile, specifically healthy fats to salmon, right? Like doctors are, are constantly telling people to eat, salmon for the high omega-3 fatty acids. And meanwhile, they can get the same thing from grass-fed beef and have no clue. So, Yeah. I mean, I, I really think CLA is like this superstar nutrient that is completely underrated that nobody ever talks about. Like I would like to not even to talk about omega-3s as a rationale for grass-fed beef and really focus on conjugated linoleic acid. Like I think it's like it's super cool. And there are literally researchers now granted every researcher who's in his own field, like understanding a particular nutrient thinks that the lack of the nutrient that they're studying is the reason for the, like the epidemics of chronic illness in, in modern society. So another researcher who's, who's studying zinc will think that it's zinc deficiency. And another researcher who's studying vitamin A will think it's like 
retinoic acid deficiency, but I have read studies on CLA that say like, this is the reason why cardiovascular disease is so high. It's because of how beef is raised. And this move from the 70s to replace beef with chicken and turkey, right? And how many recipes have you ever gone, oh, this calls for ground beef, I'll replace it with ground turkey, right? That's something that you know, we as a society have been trained to do for 40, 50 years. I literally made a face when you said that. I was like, oh, yeah. don't do that. <laughs> and, and, and it's, it's, so it's exactly what you were saying, this sort of beef phobia combined with the fact that, you know, beef has less of this one, like really, really cool nutrient in it when it's raised in a factory farm compared to grass fed. All right. So what about pork? I feel like if you, want to be educated on this there's about a year's worth of material back in the archives when we were writing beyond bacon where we dived really deep into pork but uh just give us a refresher i mean i have i have this vague memory of doing a podcast that was like in defense of pork and maybe maybe i just made that up nope we totes did okay so, um, I mean, Stacey, you are such an expert on the health benefits of pork because of, re- of writing Beyond Bacon. But uh, I will summarize briefly. Um, as I mentioned, uh, pigs are omnivores, so their natural diet would include all kinds of plants, right? They um, dig into the dirt for, for roots, um, but they'll also eat like the leaves off of things. They eat bugs. They eat small animals when they can catch them. They'll actually scavenge carrion if they can find it. So they they really are um they they really are amazing animals in the sense that they they do they sort of like clean up right they they will um like cl- clean up land so that you can plant it right they they have amazing use on a farm beyond uh just rolling in the mud so um pasture raised pigs uh have access to forage they um, we'll get typically supplemented with things like weeds or um, vegetables from the farm that have gone bad. Uh, sometimes they are given feed as well. So that is a fairly normal thing to find in um, even pasture-raised pork is to have some supplemental feed. And pasture-raised pigs, I mean, they're they're healthier. Again, there's a much lower risk of contamination with, in particular, what you see in pork is antibiotic-resistant strains of bacteria, most commonly salmonella and E. coli. And there's a much lower risk of that type of contamination in pasture-raised pork than in conventionally raised pork. So again, much lower chance of food poisoning. So yay. Um, they also, again, a lot of the same things. So they tend to be leaner overall, so higher protein density. Um, with pigs, um, they not only have more omega-3 fats, but they actually also have a, less omega-6 fats. So with beef, it's really just about boosting the omega-3s. With pork, it's about bringing both of those things into better balance. So it's fewer omega-6s and more omega-3s. Uh, pastured pork has lower saturated fat, higher monounsaturated fat, and of course, you know, higher protein because it's leaner overall than conventionally raised pork. And it's higher in uh, vitamins B1, B2, vitamin E, uh, zinc, copper, and iron, and also phenolic compounds, which are really, really cool antioxidants. So you're getting more of all of those things in pasture-raised pork than in conventional. And this is one of the things that I wanted, since ButcherBox is our sponsor, I wanted to mention um, you know, ButcherBox beef is 100% grass-fed and grass-finished. Those animals are pasture-raised. They're free to roam, right? You're getting all of those amazing health benefits from their, gra- from their grass-fed beef. Their 
pork is heritage breed, humanely raised pork. And ButcherBox very carefully does not use the term pasture raised, except that their pigs are raised exactly the way my farmer down the road raises his pigs and calls his pasture raised. And I really respect the fact that ButcherBox does not want to use the term pasture raised unless they can claim the complete analogy to their cows, right? So their cows are 100% Uh, of their subsistence is the field that they are living on and grazing on. And with their pigs, they are uh, given additional supplemental feed in addition to they're able to forage and they get time outside. Their pigs also do have um, bedding in open barns, so they get to go inside and outside. So because their pigs spend some time inside, because their supplemental feed you know, ButcherBox is very carefully not using the word pasture-raised, despite the fact that that would pass as pasture-raised for most family-owned farms. So I really respect that they just want to be that careful with their terminology, because that's one of the things that makes sourcing high-quality meat really confusing, right? So as Deborah said, you know, seeing Uh, chicken labeled as grass-fed when chickens should not be grass-fed because they're omnivores and those chickens were fed supplemental feed, right? Like it gets so confusing with all of these terms. So it's really, really wonderful to see a company uh, not only be completely transparent, but also um, be really choosy about the terminology that they're using and not wanting to use a word like pasture raised unless they can claim the like most, you know, the highest possible definition of that word. The other thing that I want to mention, <laughs> I'm going to go, I'm just going to take us back like five minutes because you did the thing where you were talking and I couldn't get in uh, that I did <laughs> to you at the beginning of the show. Um, but one of the things you didn't mention that, I love about pork is that it is the highest food source of vitamin D pasture-raised pork when um, the pigs are in the sunlight process vitamin D in their fat, which is why lard is a preferred cooking fat. um, If you do get access to it, or for example, you render your bacon fat or different things like that from pasture-raised pork. Um, It's an excellent source of vitamin D, which almost all Americans are deficient in. Yeah, I actually buy leaf fat from a local farmer and render it myself because making your own lard is actually incredibly straightforward and simple. I learned how to do that by reading this amazing book called Beyond Bacon. No, where did you get that book? Oh, no. (laughs) It really is not complicated. And we have a tutorial on our blog as well. You don't have to buy Beyond Bacon, although if you don't, why not? It's a really good book it's hardback it's beautiful blah 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 (laughs) it really is all those things it's got a lot of educational information in the front as well which is where sarah and i both learned a lot about pork researching (laughs) (laughs) i remember you sending me like passages to like yeah there was there was one there was one in particular that um we got into years ago on the show that I was concerned about. I wanted to make sure that I wasn't missing something. And fortunately I have a good friend who specializes in researching that information. And you were like, no, no, you're totally right. This is <laughs> spot on. Like, Great. It was also, I think like you hit that, like as you were wrapping up the book and you were like, what am I going to do? And I'm like, don't yeah. worry. It's, it's not right. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> you're good. 
Totally. All right. So we, it's time to jump into the most complicated topic. Um, the question upon which we have avoided this entire show. What about chicken? What about poultry? What about chicken? So, um, chicken is not that healthy of a meat, I think is really why I've kind of put this off. Um, it's, you know, again, so it, chickens are omnivores. I already mentioned that their natural diet would include grains, but also like grasses and bugs. Um, there are some, certainly some advantages to pasture-raised chicken, right? Again, it's lower rates of contamination with uh, antibiotic resistant strains of bacteria like salmonella and E. coli, right? There's there's definitely some great reasons to choose pasture-raised chicken, but chicken is actually a really rich source of omega-6 fatty acids, which are the inflammatory fats that are now more strongly linked to cardiovascular disease than saturated fatty acid intake. Uh, so conventional chicken fat, the, this is you know from uh, you know the Tyson Foods or whatever, not to throw Tyson under the bus because there's plenty of, of uh, poor quality chicken out there. It's almost 20% omega-6 fats as a percentage of total energy chicken fat, which is more than canola oil, which is only 19% omega-6, and not very far behind peanut butter, which is 22.5% omega-6. So it is a very rich source of omega-6 fats, um, probably the highest source of omega-6 fats in the typical Western diet behind vegetable oils as a general rule. And because we've moved to, right, the skinless, boneless chicken breast as the, you know, most ubiquitous American meat now, chicken contributes an average of 13% of the omega-6 uh, intake of the average American, which is kind of crazy. And so the way to balance that type of omega-6 intake is with tons of seafood, which um, the average American doesn't consume, right? The I think the average uh, American um, consumption of seafood is something like 16 pounds a year, which is uh, mostly shrimp. And uh, the average sort of meat consumption is in like the 230 something range pounds per year. And then like the average dairy consumption is like in the 400 pounds per year. Like it's it's uh, very imbalanced. And this, you know, high intake of inflammatory omega-6 fats is very, very likely linked with all chronic illness because of its impact on the immune system. So how do you correct that? So here's here's what's interesting about chicken, because it appears as though simply giving them access to the outdoors does not automatically improve the quality of the meat, doesn't automatically improve the quality of the fat the way that it does in pigs or in cows. So in pigs or in cows, it's they're getting, you know, making vitamin D from the sun, like they're automatically in a better situation if they're outside. It doesn't seem to be the same for chickens. So there's been a variety of research papers that have looked at different farming methods. So they look at uh, caged versus free range. They look at different diets. They look at pasture access and the results are really mixed. So some of them show no difference. Some of them show that it only makes a difference in the spring if the animals are, if chickens are pasture raised. Um, some show that it actually can worsen the omega-3 to omega-6 ratio, which is kind of crazy and I, I can't explain necessarily why that would be. 
What does seem to make more of a difference is the bird's diets, but it doesn't make as radical a difference as it does in beef and pork. So we don't have any science showing that pasture-raised chicken has more nutrients um, per pound compared, you know, to that's the type of science that we have with with pork or with beef. Um, And in terms of the omega-3 to omega-6 ratio, uh, there was one study showing that if um, the animals were fed soy, they had a worse omega-3 to omega-6 ratio than a soy-free feed. So it was like 1 to 8 omega-3 to omega-6 if the soy – if it was a, a feed that contained soy versus 1 to 3 if it didn't. There was another study that looked at chickens that were predominantly raised on grasshoppers showing that that improved their omega-3 to omega-6 fatty acid ratio uh, to about one, 1 to 7. Um, but really like in in a normal situation, they've got about 12 times more omega sixes than omega threes. Um, even if they're organic, even if they're free range, um, it doesn't seem to make a huge difference. The one thing that has been shown to, to create a really favorable ratio of omega threes to omega sixes is, uh, studies of chickens that were fed large amounts of flaxseed. But in that case, they're not actually converting the uh, ALA, which is the shortest form of omega-3s in flaxseed, into the long-chain DHA and EPA, which are the the forms of omega-3s that we actually really, really need. So even though the overall ratio is better, it's not actually the form that we need. So it seems to be um, that the the diet – and the uh, access to the outdoors doesn't improve the meat quality in chicken as much as it does in other animals. Um, even studies, you know, in free-range turkeys that have access to, to forage have shown no real change to the omega-3 to omega-6 ratios. So it, it's sort of a mixed bag with, with chicken. It, and that doesn't mean that chicken's not healthy. It still has right high-quality protein. It's still rich in a variety of vitamins and minerals. And there are certain vitamins and minerals that chicken has much more of than pork or beef. So it's, I definitely think that it's worthwhile to throw some chicken in. But I think that because of its high omega-6 content, it, it doesn't earn its place as the primary protein anymore. I agree. What are the, the only other, the only, I can like, I'm like, I add nothing. Um, the only the other thing that I would say is if you are going to include chicken in your diet, um, as we do several times a week, let's say I, the kids like rotisserie chickens, um, for like lunches and leftovers. And so we try to offset that with grass fed beef and seafood several times a week. Um, uh, just making sure that you're you know, balancing your ratio. And by removing grains from your diet, you're already helping your omega-6 ratio so much. So the one thing I mentioned earlier in the podcast, though, Sarah, that I think you said you have some science on that I'd love to hear about is the content of egg versus meat, right? We've Mm -hmm. talked about the fat profile and why that's affected. The actual protein and the meat structure is not going to, for example, give me a celiac reaction if the chickens are fed wheat, but I do, however, have a reaction if I eat eggs from chickens that are fed wheat. Can you talk a little bit about that? 
Yeah. So it's really interesting because the formation of an egg is a, is a very different biological process than the formation of muscle tissue. And there was a study quite a few years ago now that uh, it was in uh, chickens that were fed a soy-containing diet. And what they found was intact soy proteins detectable um, I believe it was within the yolk of the egg, if I remember correctly. It's been a while since I've looked at that study. And um, and so they were actually able to show that intact proteins from the feed that the, the chickens were, were getting were being incorporated into the egg without first right going through digestion and denaturization and being you know broken apart into individual amino acids and then reassembled, which is what happens in muscle tissue, right? So in muscle tissue, we're building it ourselves with the resources that we get from our food rather than taking that whole protein and just inserting it into our muscle. But that seems to be happening at least to a small amount in egg. Now, there are no studies that I'm aware of that have even looked to see if the same thing is true for other foods. So I don't know of any studies that have looked to see if there's intact corn proteins or intact wheat proteins in eggs when chickens are fed corn or wheat. And we don't know at this point what the role of something like um, Roundup, right, GMO feed would have in this. Um, in, in GMO feed, in a conventional chicken, uh, what they're using now is, is these they're using Roundup to spray something like wheat when it's still green um, so that it dries and then they're harvesting it, right, under this idea that is um, completely ridiculous that uh, because Roundup doesn't impact human cells that clearly or, – or animal cells, it's, it's harmless. Meanwhile, we recognize that it actually does impact our gut barrier health through changes in our gut microbiome. So it, we've got some early evidence in the medical literature that the more Roundup we're exposed to, that that's shifting our gut microbiome and potentially contributing to a leaky gut. And so that might be part of what's going on here. So it might be the fact that these are uh, crops that have uh, quite a bit of glyphosate contamination because they're GMO, they're fed to the chickens, so the chickens have a leaky gut. So then these proteins are getting in and being incorporated into the egg somehow. So we don't actually know what the whole pathway there is, and we don't know if um, if Roundup is a, is a factor or not, although it, it's certainly quite possible. Uh, so we don't know if it's just soy proteins or if it's other plant proteins, but anecdotally, I, I've heard so many times from so many different people, especially celiacs, who cannot do eggs from chickens fed grains. The other possibility is some kind of cross-contamination, except that I find that unlikely because eggs are typically washed before being sold. Um, you're cooking them, so you're – right, if you're boiling an egg, you're cracking them. Like the, the thought – I've, for the one molecule that might still be on there, um, I think it's far more likely a scenario that the, the proteins are being incorporated into the egg. So you're, you're certainly not alone in your, your uh, experience that eggs from chickens that are fed foods that you are sensitive to cause a reaction. That is a, a fairly common thing, even if our, our scientific link is still uh, only a part of that picture. And I mean, it makes sense to me because we know that that mechanism exists in, for example, breast milk, um, and we're we're passing some of that to our children and can see for 
you know, my kids, that's where I first got introduced to how food was affecting our bodies because Cole had colic um, when I consumed dairy from my own lactose intolerance, not being able to break down the um, lactose and casein and then passing it on to him and him not being able to digest it. And so it makes sense to me that an egg would be similar to dairy and how that would behave. Um, it's kind of like the moon. The science doesn't have to tell me I know it exists. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just keep referencing the fact that I'm a insane person about the moon. So, um, and, while... and reference and reference our, our circle lunar rhythm podcast on that one. Yes. <laughs> so, uh, while, Deborah didn't necessarily ask about budget. It is one of the most common questions that we get mm-hmm. asked in the context of higher quality meats. And um, I will say that we have talked a lot on this show about affordability and budget. You can certainly um, just Google like the Paleo View budget and affordability, and we can talk about that. We also talked at the top of the show about how, you know, not letting perfection be the enemy of the good if you are on such a tight budget that purchasing organic grass finished pasture raised meats is not within your means. That doesn't mean that you can't still get the health benefits. Um, However, it is, it is the fact that these things are healthier for you as we've discussed. And because they cost more to raise them in an open field with higher quality food sources that they do cost more, although there are ways around that. Um, but mostly you can also get a $15 off. (laughs) Plus free bacon. (laughs) And free bacon. So we're trying to make it more affordable for you. Well, and I think that, um, you know, I think it's important to sort of wrap up here with a, where are the best priorities? I really think grass fed beef is the top priority for, um, incorporating some higher quality meat because of that conjugated linoleic acid. We're not getting that from pork. Uh, so while I still, you know, seek out pasture-raised pork uh, and at least free-range chicken, organic free-range chicken, if not pasture-raised chicken, um, I always, always make sure that my the beef that I consume is grass-fed and grass-finished. So that is where I, I don't, um, I don't make any kind of compromise, um, and that's especially true when it comes to fattier cuts, which actually tend to be cheaper, right? So like an 80-20 ground beef, um, right? Or a uh, shoulder roast, um, a uh, something like a, a chuck roast, right? The tougher stew beef, right? Those things that are cheaper that tend to have more marbling, those are actually going to give you most of that you know, really beneficial fat too. So um, that is definitely the place to to spend a little bit more money. Um, and from there, I would say, you know, obviously the, the you're going to get more nutrition out of better quality meat, and you're going to get um, those other benefits of looking after the planet, um, feeling good about eating humanely raised meat, right? Those supporting uh, small scale farms, right? Those are all incredible benefits as well. But if you're, if you're going to do like one thing with a little extra money, I think grass fed beef nutritionally is, is the place to go, which is cool because butcher box will actually allow you to like, they've got a curated box. That's just a beef box. So if that is, you know, you're looking to, 
uh, supplement what you're getting at your local grocery store with a little bit of grass-fed beef, um, that is a great a great way to go because you can still get that free bacon because bacon and still get that $15 off, but get the, the, the uh, entirely beef box and be able to take complete advantage of this deal and the great nutrition and grass-fed beef. I also prioritize beef. I would say the other two things that we prioritize are pasture-raised lard, as I talked about, without mm. having a gallbladder, um, getting grass-fed butter and ghee and lard are really important to us when it comes to cooking fats and stuff like that. Um, and then the third thing is eggs. So the cost differential on getting high-quality eggs is not that much greater in the overall budget. Um, but because I'm sensitive and because it's a really affordable protein, we often have eggs, like the boys have eggs for breakfast almost every single morning. I want to make sure that something that they're getting that repetitively is as high quality possible. And it's not that much more expensive to get it. Um, specifically, if you're buying them from, let's say, Whole Foods by a dozen, you will see a greater price difference than if you're working with a local farmer or your farmer's market. Or in our case, we actually work with like a CSA type group and we buy a large amount of eggs every few weeks because they last a really long time. Um, we're able to buy them in bulk and then work through them and buy them in bulk again. So those are the three things that we prioritize. And I personally just really like the taste of pastured pork. Mm. So we don't, if we can't get pastured pork, then we just don't get it. Like, and, and I don't think you're really missing anything from not eating pork or lamb or whatever. Um, if you're not choosing to get them higher quality, right. I think really the debate is always, um, beef, chicken, and fish. So fish is something that we don't mind getting farmed. But like I said, we read the label just to make sure that it's not being <laughs> injected or fed some weird stuff. <laughs> Here, have some food dyes to make your meat pinker so you look like wild-caught salmon even though you're farm-raised. Like, why? Why would you do that? Oh, America. Okay. I mean, maybe they do that in Canada. I don't know. But it just I mean, it seems I, like something Canadians wouldn't do. I haven't lived in Canada in... 13 years. So I don't know, things might be different, but you're right. I, I, I'm skeptical, but uh... <laughs> I, will, I will to, to redeem Costco a little bit. They do now have wild caught salmon that does not have food day in the food. So, but <laughs> That's, it's true. And I, I was like, um, the freezer section wild caught salmon is definitely like wild caught. Yeah. Um, I mean, no, since, since we've just thrown a bunch of brands under the bus, this show, I'm like, I don't want to be sued. <laughs> uh, no. Yes. Nobody mentioned to any of the brands that we said, Shh, they're not listening to this show. It's just your mom and my mom and three friends. So. <laughs> That's true. Okay. Well, we hope that this show has been helpful. It is It is a doozy. It's been a while since we covered the show. I think we kind of, uh, this topic, we kind of burned ourselves out a couple of years ago talking about this um, as we were working on Beyond Beacon, but it is so important. And when it comes to things like, you know, fat profiles, nutrient density, CLA, um, there is a reason why we suggest these things, but hopefully you 
are able to prioritize based on, you know, what works for you and your family. So um, if you cannot afford free range pastured chicken, just eat more beef. Um, <laughs> you know, like, it'll be okay. Sorry, you sound like a Chick-fil-A commercial. <laughs> I, I, you know, whatever it takes. If you've enjoyed listening to the show this week, we would love for you to share it with people, leave a review, especially five star ones. Um, however, you're listening to this show and um, thanks for tuning in and we'll be back again next week. And don't forget to go to butcherbox.com forward slash the paleo view to redeem the wonderful and very generous offer of $15 off and free bacon in your first box. Thank you for listening to The Paleo View. If you enjoyed the show, please take a moment to rate us on iTunes. You can also support us by shopping for our favorite paleo products on the sidebars of our individual websites or by donating through PayPal. Over your shoulder. Leering with heavy breath. Because I ran up the stairs because you're like, Matt, now! Hey, you're done now. Oh, probably closing in on three years. I mean, since they were a brand, brand, brand new company. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but the cat is allowed. The cat is, get out, Tilly. (laughs) I know you have a toy. Go show it to your daddy. Go. Go. She's staring at me like, you don't mean it. I'm going to throw something at you. If I can find something that's safe to throw. Aha. You ready? I'm going to throw it at you. Oh, I hit her. <laughs> go. Go. Get out. Go. Just moving five feet and staring at me like your uh, like feelings are hurt is not acceptable. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device, or play on PC through Facebook games.